Titus 3, verses 1 through 3, these are God's words. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. So far the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. The apostle has just told Titus that he has to maintain his authority, which is an authority of the preaching of the word, an authority of the shepherding of God's people at the end of Titus chapter 2. And there are those who are in authority in the civil sphere, not the authority of the preaching of the word and the shepherding uh, of God's people, but rulers who are servants of God, as Romans chapter 13 uh, also teaches us, and as the Lord Jesus himself uh, taught when Pilate said, Don't you know that I have authority? And Jesus told him he would not have that authority unless it had been given to him from above. So there's authority in the civil sphere, too, which means that one of the things that Titus is to teach with his spiritual authority is that they are to obey the civil authority, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities. So there's a submissiveness, there's an accepting of the authority that is over you and a knowing of your place to obey. Uh, And this knowing of our place does mean that when we receive a command from a civil authority that is not unlawful, and it can be unlawful in a couple of different ways. First, it may be a command that is a command itself to sin. Uh, The second is it may be a command that belongs to a sphere that is not under their prerogative. The civil authority cannot give us uh, commands, for instance, for uh, how to worship. Uh, Although, uh, certainly... Uh, if you have a faithful church in the nation uh, that has commands for how to worship or what theology to teach and someone is found guilty of violating God's law uh, as as enforced by the commands of or, or upheld by the commands of the spiritual authority or the church, then it is the duty of the civil magistrate still uh, to uh, punish the evil and reward the good. Uh, but you know, one way that a, uh, the command of a civil magistrate may be uh, unlawful uh, is, is by giving commands in a sphere that does not belong to them. And yet, when the command of the civil magistrate is not unlawful, it is neither a command to sin, nor is it a command uh, that oversteps uh, in the place in the church or in the home, which are also institutions of God, then we must obey, because we are not then obeying only the immediate magistrate who is above us or a couple steps above us in the chain of command, but the chain of command goes all the way up to the Lord Jesus Christ, indeed God himself who has given to the God-man, his son, the mediator, uh, this mediatorial authority, this kingship over heaven and earth, even with respect to his office as the Christ. 
Uh, and so we are uh, not just to be subject, but also to obey. And we then, uh, when whenever the command is not unlawful, are the most zealous and diligent obeyers. Everyone else is just obeying because they feel like they have to, or at best because they feel like in the social project that they're participating in, or perhaps in the benevolence of their civil magistrate, perhaps they have a good king and they like to obey their good king out of love for him. Still, their obedience ought to be nothing compared to the Christian's obedience in the nation who knows that the chain of command never stops on earth. It goes all the way up to heaven. And so our obedience is out of love for Christ and in the diligence of those who are honoring and obeying him. So uh, up until the point where uh, the civil magistrate gives an unlawful command, he should be perplexed at how the Christians are the best citizens that he has, how they obey with zeal and joy and love and conscientiousness. Uh, and then, of course, he will be equally perplexed when he gives an unlawful command and they suddenly become the most staunch, steady, resistant disobeyers in the nation. Uh, and even in that way, and this has happened many times in church history, although the church has not always been healthy, uh, but often when it is persecuted and clinging to Christ and, and hoping in and clinging to his rule, his overrule of all earthly rule, uh, often in those times the church has done this the best. Uh, and you have different uh, apologists, those who speak and write to the world, explaining why Christians are how they are. Because the world doesn't have a clue why we are how we are. Uh, and that's especially a way to, uh, to tell of who God is, who Christ is, what God has done in Christ, and so forth. Um, perhaps the most famous of these apologies for us, uh, the Institutes of the Christian Religion by John Calvin is actually addressed to the magistrate, giving an explanation for why Reformed believers are the way they are. Uh, and it ends up being such uh, a comprehensive and helpful applicational treatise on Christian theology. It's still one of the best systematic theologies uh, for us to use in God's good providence to us. Uh, and so we, do, we are subject and we obey because, last part uh, of verse 1, we are ready for every good work. Uh, and so we want to do good works in our home as a father, as a husband, as a mother, as a wife, as a child, as a brother or sister. We want to do good works in the church as a worshiper and church member and bearing one another's burdens and speaking the truth to one another in love and uh, and participating in the body and no one saying, I am not a part of the body or he or she is not a, a part of the body. We want to uh, do whatever good works God gives us opportunity to in the community, uh, uh, having mercy on orphans and widows, especially in the church, but also in the world, but also when it comes to doing good works to those who are in the world, keeping ourselves unspotted from the world so that we pursue this pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God. Uh, and we add this conduct in the state to the good works that we do. And so there's a readiness, there's an eagerness, there is a willingness. Uh, and uh, therefore, it's not just obedience that is a good work, but there is this humility, there is this gentleness. Uh, verse 2, speak evil of no one, be peaceable and gentle, showing all humility to all men. 
And so in each of those spheres I just described, isn't there? There is a humility and a gentleness and a peaceability that serves God in good works. I hope this is one of the things that you are working on in your own heart and your own life, the way that you're interacting with your brothers and sisters, being first of all humbled before the Lord. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He gives, he opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. You can cast your cares upon him. And so if you have this contented humility in which you know that God is doing you good and you know that every day is an opportunity to serve in humility and submission and gentleness. First of all, the Lord who has given you himself in Christ, that enables you then to show humility to before others and to treat them with a gentleness and a peace that hopefully in a Christian family, they don't have to wonder, why is she being so gentle? Why is uh, is, does he keep speaking those soft words that turn away wrath and show a kindness in response to my meanness that immediately humiliates me and convicts me and has me coming back you know, 17 seconds later and saying, I'm sorry, I should not have talked to you that way. Well, in a Christian home, we know the reason why the first one who showed the humility and the gentleness and the peaceability is like that is because of Christ. And he's helping his brother or sister or parent her child in the home, to remember that about Christ and respond that way to Christ. And we have that opportunity, of course, in the congregation as well. But we do have this opportunity even in the state, that being those who are gentle and peaceable and refuse to speak evil, which will really mark us as distinct in the age in which we live. Because we live in an age of rampant, reviling and cursing and attacking and not not thinking of or speaking charitably of others and if we uh, are are obeying Titus 3 verse 2 it will be something that marks us off as different and we know that we're really not to not to revile anyone remember the the book of Jude tells us that the archangel Michael and Jude 1 verses oh, there's only one chapter in Jude and Jude verses 8 and 9 the archangel Michael would not even revile the devil, but he spoke in a grave and serious way, a way that had regard for the weightiness of, uh, of the interaction, not just because it's the devil, but because he's before the face of God. And so in his rightly responding to the devil, he said, the Lord rebuke you is what Jude says. And that's the same idea right behind Joseph when his when his brothers come before you know the the text where or the part where he says you meant it for evil but God meant it for good. You remember the first question he asks? He says, Am I in the place of God? And so if we are always before the face of God, we're gonna measure our words. Uh, if you have someone who's just a very weighty man with you, this is something that you have to learn as you go along. Every once in a while, a very indignant younger child will uh, will be wanting to vigorously make their case, and they will slide in the way that they are talking, and one of the older siblings will say, Mom and Dad are right here. Let them deal with it. Well, there are things that are our responsibility to deal with on earth, but we must always remember God is right here. We are before his face. Everything that is done is done in responsibility before him, in regard for him. And there are things that we leave to him. 
And this is one of the things especially that measures how we respond to evil. We don't take vengeance because God says, vengeance belongs to me. And the scripture even says, make room, leave room for the vengeance of the Lord. And that's why we don't repay evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. That's why even if they revile us, we do not revile them. But we would say with the holy angel, the Lord rebuke you. We would take it weightily. That is why when uh, in Philippians, when he says, let your gentleness be known to all, he gives us one of the great reasons for that. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is nearby. And so there's this, there's this goal, there's this intention of displaying humility to all men. And one of the reasons why we display that humility is because we know that there is nothing that we see coming out of them that we don't know is in us. It used to come out of us and still does to some extent. And you have that uh, list then, for we ourselves were also once, and all of these things that we are going to uh, that we are going to deal with when we come uh, to verse three through seven the next time uh, that we are in Titus. Uh, but that is one of the other things that helps us. We remember that the Lord is at hand. We humble ourselves under uh, the mighty hand of God. We leave room for his vengeance. We say, the Lord rebuke you. Uh, but we also remember that we are not so very different. I mean, the Archangel Michael was very different than Lucifer, although they had started out uh, the same, but Lucifer fell. Michael didn't. But we are not so very different, and whatever difference there is in us has come from redeeming grace which he is going to move on to in verses 3 through 7. And these are the things uh, that will help us, uh, both when we are obeying with zeal and cheerfulness and diligence that is inexplicable, and when we are disobeying with resoluteness and determination that is also inexplicable. But in both cases, we will do so with gentleness and humility that comes not from being doormats, but from knowing the greatness of God before whom we all are, and from knowing the greatness of grace, which is the only thing that has made a difference in us. So that helps us uh, out in the world with the civil magistrate, but I hope it is very helpful to us also in the day-to-day, in our home, and in how we interact in the church before the face of God. May the Lord, the Spirit, apply these things to us. Let's ask him to do that. Our gracious God and our Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving Christ to be our righteousness who did submit himself and opened not his mouth and is not only an atonement uh, for us, but an example to us. And we pray that by your spirit and his spirit, we would be conformed to his image and trust ourselves to you who judge justly uh, and that we would show our humility before all, that we would revile no one. Uh, Give us, O God, then, Uh, to be peaceable and gentle in the home and in the church and as citizens of the state. Make us, we pray, the best subjects of this nation that it has, whether the nation is willing to acknowledge that in full or not. But grant it, we pray, through Christ and for his glory, we ask in his name. Amen.